Good morning. Isn't it nice to uh, have somebody else up here speaking besides just me? Uh, let me move back just a little bit. And I'm going to preach from this side because it works better for Facebook with the screen over my shoulder. Uh, and uh, so people can still sort of see what's on the screen uh, at the same time. So anyway, so it might, might feel more, uh, you might have been to churches where the preacher preaches on the side. So if you're used to that, that'll work for you. Um, uh, good to see all of you. Man, man, it's so great to see those chairs filled instead of just talking to the camera. Uh, that, uh, you know, I'm glad we can do that, but it's, I, I, I enjoy speaking to people that are here. So that's great. Happy Valentine's Day to all of you. Um, have you presented your, your sweetheart with a, a token of your love yet, men, husband, husbands, boyfriends? Uh, have you done that? I hope, I hope so. Um, or how many of you uh, got up this morning and, or even right now and you said, wait, today's Valentine's Day? <laughs> anybody, anybody feel that way? Um, I hope that's not you. Uh, but if it is you, it's, it's, you still got the rest of the day. So, you know, you could go join those other men at Harris Teeter a little later this afternoon, who are all standing at the cards, picking out their cards for today because they forgot. Um, for, for once, I didn't wait till the last day. I gave my, my wife, Jackie, uh, her flowers a couple of days ago. So, uh, Jackie, happy Valentine's Day. She's watching on Facebook, I'm sure. Um, <clears throat> so, you got time, go out, find some kind of a gift to, to, to show how much you love uh, your, 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 your loved one, your, your wife, especially husbands, flowers, chocolate, cordless drill, something uh, that, uh, that they would be able to use, right? <clears throat> and then, of course, uh, as Joe said, we need to show a love for each other every day of the week, not just on Valentine's Day. So uh, it's, it's a lifetime commitment uh, celebrated on Valentine's. So Good to have you here today on this special day. Well, as we continue in our lessons from the, the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, um, <clears throat> uh, on this Valentine's Day, it, it just so happens, maybe that was the Lord working, uh, that we fall upon a love story uh, in Genesis, the story of Isaac meeting Rebekah. Let's talk about that this morning. Uh, last week, we saw God begin his redemption plan for mankind by choosing and calling Abraham uh, to be the man, the, the family, the nation uh, that would uh, be his plan for saving mankind from their sins. Um, uh, we saw Abraham and his wife, Sarah, obey God's command to leave their homeland and to, to go to Canaan, where God led them, and start their family there. Uh, God made a covenant with Abraham uh, and told him that, that he would, would make Abraham uh, into, first, a great nation, uh, that he would make Abraham's name great, that he would bless those who bless Abraham and curse those who cursed him, and that all mankind, all people, all nations would be blessed through him. And, of course, that includes you and me. We are a part of that promise uh, through Jesus. Um, later, God would say things to Abraham like in, in Genesis 13, verse, verse 16, I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. And then later in Genesis 15, 5, he told, God told Abraham, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. 
Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Uh, you know, of course, if that's going to happen, uh, if, if that's going to come true, if Abraham is to, going to become a great nation, if his offspring are going, to be, uh, are going to outnumber the dust of the earth and the stars in the heavens, well, then Abraham's going to need what? He's going to need some offspring, right? So last week we saw how God gave Abraham uh, and Sarah their firstborn son, or uh, Sarah's firstborn son, Isaac. Uh, and, and even though Isaac was barren, God miraculously made it possible for Sarah to conceive and to give birth. They're on their way to offspring uh, and start this great nation. But then God told Abraham, as, as, as Steve just pointed out and reminded us again, uh, now take that offspring that you've got and go sacrifice it on, on the mountain uh, to me. Uh, but then we saw that God... Uh, uh, turned it around. God was using that as a test of God's faith, and God did stop him from killing his son right at the last minute uh, and uh, provided a lamb in his place, just as Jesus is the lamb provided in our place. Abraham passed his test, and so then they were back on track for producing offspring and growing this great nation. Isaac then grew into manhood, and when he was about 40 years old, Abraham decided that it was time for his son to be married. 40 years old. <laughs> now imagine that. Imagine if your father was the one that decided whether you should marry, when you should marry, and who you should marry. Uh, in our Western American culture, you know, we just don't think like that, do we? That, that's not the way we do things when it comes to relationships and marriage. You know, we pride ourselves in, in the freedom that we have as individuals uh, to choose both when, whether we're going to marry or not, and then who we're going to marry. We decide that for ourselves. Uh, we, we like to think that our parents have nothing to do with it. Uh, you know, we resist, in fact, any attempt from our parents to try to tell us who we should marry or whether we should marry. But the truth is, throughout history, in many, if not most cultures, parents have decided when and who their children should marry. Often the, the, the children have little or sometimes no say at all in who their lifelong partner will be. So rather than, in, in many cultures, rather than marriage being a relationship-based on love between a man and a woman, marriages start out at least, sometimes they, you know, love develops, but they start out at least uh, as a negotiation between families. You know, the father of a son goes to the father of a daughter, and they literally negotiate the marriage with money and, and camels and fine clothing and jewelry. In, in the ancient world, where a son or a daughter also helped with the many tasks around the family, you know, with the farming and with the, the cooking and the cleaning. You know, when you lost a daughter, especially to marriage, um, you also lost a valuable helper uh, around, around the family. Uh, and that was work that now somebody else is going to have to do if, if she gets married and leaves. So to compensate for the lost laborer, basically, that's one thing, uh, the gaining father would pay money or give livestock to the losing father. <clears throat> Wasn't that romantic? Wow, 
That's, that's just a, a storybook, isn't it? This is the system that Abraham and Isaac lived under. So while it, while it may seem crazy to us as Westerners, and we, would not, we can't even imagine that, it was just normal life for people in uh, Abraham's day uh, and in the story of Isaac and Rebekah. So let's read uh, Genesis chapter 24, verse 1 through 4. Um, Abraham was now very old, and the Lord had blessed them in every way. He said to the senior servant in his household, the one in charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh. I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I am living. But will go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son Isaac. Now, at this time, uh, Sarah, Abraham's wife, had, had been dead for a couple of years. She lived to be, the Bible tells us, to be 127 years old. So imagine that. Uh, they, they didn't live as long as they did back in Adam's day, but uh, before Noah, but uh, still, pretty long life, wasn't it? Abraham, too, was very old, uh, and he was likely too old to do what he's about to ask his senior servant to do in his place. So Abraham gets his senior servant to swear an oath, this bizarre practice of putting his hand underneath Abraham's thigh. I mean, there's a whole story behind that that we won't go into now, but, but uh, that was just, that's the way they did things. That's where you did oaths. You put your hand under somebody's thigh. Um, and he said, I, I want you, he said to the servant, I want you to find a wife for my son Isaac. And now notice that Isaac is not present here. It doesn't seem to be. Uh, uh, he, he seems to have no say-so in the matter whatsoever. Uh, even though he's 40 years old. Uh, those of you who are older, and uh, many of you, most of you, except for just a couple of ex exceptions, are, are over 40. And so imagine, uh, can you imagine when you were 40 years old, at that age, having your parents negotiate your marriage? So uh, what, what were Abraham's concerns uh, as he's talking to, there were some concerns that he had uh, for Isaac's marriage. Abraham uh, we see, was as much concerned about who Isaac should not marry as he was who he should marry. Uh, for, as we see, we read there, Abraham did not want Isaac to marry a Canaanite woman. That was very important to him. Well, we need, we need to know that um, this concern that Abraham had about Canaanite women uh, was not a race thing. You know, it wasn't today, you know, he'd probably be accused of racism, but it had nothing to do with race. It had nothing to do with nationality, uh, this fear of Isaac marrying a Canaanite woman. Abraham knew that the Canaanites that surrounded them were pagans. Uh, he knew that if, if Isaac married a local Canaanite woman, uh, he would also, in a sense, be marrying her local family. You know, when we, when we marry someone, we also sort of, in a way, marry their family because their family becomes a part of our life. And, and this would be a local family as well that would be constantly around. Um, and the danger in this, from a spiritual point of view, uh, is that Isaac would be then greatly influenced by this pagan culture that would inevitably, the pagan culture would inevitably come into the marriage with his new wife. And, and throughout the Old Testament, we see that this happens 
over and over and over again with the Israelites. When the Israelites disobeyed God's law given to Moses, you know, they were strictly forbidden to marry, to intermarry with, with pagans. Uh, and uh, and, and when, when they disobeyed that law and married pagan, pagans that lived around them, they inevitably began to accept pagan gods and pagan ways. And uh, pagan ways often usually included sinful lifestyles. <clears throat> and, and this was one of the biggest reasons uh, that throughout the Old Testament, we see Israel struggled so much to remain faithful to God mainly because of intermarriage with pagans. And this was both men and women doing that. So Abraham had the same concern for his son Isaac. If Isaac, just the second generation of God's new nation, if he gets derailed right off the bat uh, by, and, and starts serving false gods that his new wife would bring in, you know, there goes the whole plan of God of saving mankind before it even hardly got started. You know, this same principle still applies to God's kingdom today. Uh, marriage uh, is such a huge part of our lives, isn't it? Uh, it it's where those uh, who are married spend most of their life together. You know, maybe 50, 60, or more years. We've got a couple here have been married uh, more than 60 years. Uh, It's the place where we raise our children to adulthood in our marriages. The time that that our children develop their their understanding and their relationship uh, with God. And that's why it's still important to God today as Christians that we seek out a marriage partner that loves the Lord the same as we do. You know, the the same human tendency exists today as it did in Abraham's day. You know, whoever we bring into our lives as husband or wife will greatly affect every part of our life, and especially our spiritual life uh, and our children's spiritual life. And and the best chance that we have to be faithful to God uh, is to have a spouse that also is faithful to God. Those who are Christians who have married someone who doesn't serve Christ, you know, they can testify. Uh, uh, And I've heard the testimony, how difficult it can be sometimes to serve Christ when you have to do it all by yourself. Uh, Even if your non-Christian spouse is a good person, um, but uh, if they don't serve the Lord, you end up having to do it by yourself often. And, And it's difficult uh, to teach your children to serve God if the other parent is not serving God. So it's so much better for everyone in a family, for husband, wife, and kids, when everyone is on the same page when it comes to following Jesus. And it's still difficult. It's still one of the hardest things to do. But it's so much better when everybody's together in their relationship with God. And that's why Paul wrote to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14, when he said, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. It's important. It was important in Abraham's day. It's still important today. Even without the written word of God. So Abraham didn't have the Old Testament yet, uh, the law of Moses yet. Abraham, even without that, he understood the importance of who uh, his son's spouse would be. Uh, when it came to, came to his relationship 
with God. So he told his servant to go to his homeland, to his own family, to find a wife for Isaac. Now, you might ask, well, weren't they pagans too? (laughs) Yeah, they probably were. They probably were. So what's the difference? What's the difference? Uh, Pagan here, pagan there. Uh, Well, likely it was a couple of things that were were different. First, um, these pagans that he was sending his servant to were not local. Uh, They lived hundreds of miles away. Uh, uh, When the servant asked um, Abraham, hey, uh, Abraham, if this woman that I find will not come back to Canaan, do you want me to take Isaac there to live there with her? And, and his reply was, absolutely not, uh, Genesis 24, 6 through 8. Absolutely not. You will not take my son to, to my homeland. Uh, he is to stay here. God wanted his new nation to stay uh, in the promised land, in Canaan. Uh, if, if Isaac's new wife is a pagan, and she, she probably was or very likely was, um, bringing her far uh, from her pagan family at least removes that influence in her life. Uh, and then the new wife would be surrounded by those who were serving the living God, and, and hopefully she would be easily converted uh, to serving him. Secondly, that this was Abraham's family. They weren't just strangers that lived uh, in Canaan. It was Abraham's family, and perhaps he knew their character uh, and, and felt that they would at least be the lesser threat uh, than the surrounding Canaanites that lived there. And thirdly, there weren't too many other options for Isaac, uh, if you think about it. Everybody outside of Abraham's immediate family were pagans. Isaac couldn't just go down and hang out at the local synagogue and try to meet some, some young Jewish girls to marry. Uh, there, there was no local synagogue, and there were no local Jewish girls. <laughs> so that wasn't even an option for him. Everybody were, was pagan. Uh, so for Abraham, the best chance was a girl, he felt, uh, from his family back home. So the servant, and we never know the servant's name, he's just called the servant, uh, he set out for Abraham's homeland. He, uh, he, he carried with him ten camels, uh, and they were all loaded with goodies to use in the negotiation that, that was to take place. Now, ten camels, if you think about it, can carry a lot of goodies, a lot of gold, a lot of jewels, a lot of, uh, a lot of clothing. Even some of the camels could be used in the negotiation. He stopped at a well uh, in Abraham's homeland, uh, called uh, a town called Nahor. The servant then, as he was waiting by this well, he prayed to God that he would be successful, and, and then he asked God to give him a sign about who this new wife for Isaac should be. Let's read that, Genesis twenty-four thirteen through fourteen. See, I'm standing beside this spring, and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be, this is a servant praying to God, may it be that when I say to a young woman, please let down your jar that I may have a drink, and she says, drink and I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. Okay, the the servant basically comes up with a sign he comes up with the sign himself, and he asks God to make that sign, the one he made up, <laughs> to make that sign happen, you know, and let that be the sign that I just made up. 
Now, personally, this is just me. This is just me. Personally, I, I don't think that, that that's a sure way to get God to direct you, to make up your own sign and give it to God. You know, like, God, should I buy this new car? I, I just need a little advice here. Give me a sign. Give me a sign. I'll tell you what, God, let, let it be this. If the salesman, salesman comes out and he says, nice weather we're having, can I get you a cup of coffee? God, let that be the sign. Let that be the sign. Then I'll know that I should buy this car if he says that. Um, I, I think we need to be careful <laughs> uh, that we aren't inserting our selfish desires into some kind of made-up sign that we throw at God, especially if we know that that's what this guy says to everybody every time. <laughs> but I do think that, that God can nudge us with signs. He does use signs, I think. Um, uh, maybe after praying, you know, we look at a car and, uh, and we, we say, you know what, I'm going to pray about it and go home and talk about it with, with my wife and, uh, and I'm going to sleep on it and pray and ask God to guide me. And then what happens a lot of times with me, the next day is like, you know, I really don't need a car. You know, God led me to that maybe and lets me, let me see. Or maybe after praying about it and sleeping on it, we realize, you know, the Holy Spirit is, is nudging us and, and reminding us of Scripture uh, that we need to be giving more to the Lord. And, and, and if, if, we, if we go into this, this debt again, we're, we're not going to be able to give as much. We were hoping to, to increase our gift. Uh, and, and with this, we wouldn't be able to do that. So, you know, God can lead us in that way. I think signs are still there. But, but even though it worked out for Abraham's servant to make up a sign and give it to God, uh, this is just me. I, I, I would just warn against, against doing that. But it did work for the servant. Uh, let's, let's look at verse 15 and 16. Before he had finished praying, Rebekah came out with her jar on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah who was the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor. The woman was very beautiful, a virgin. No man had ever slept with her. She went down to the spring, filled her jar, and came up again. Now the servant approaches Rebekah, and, and she did exactly as he had called the, the sign to be, just as, as, as he had presented to God. Let this be the sign. She did exactly that. Uh, he asked for a drink. And she said, yeah, I'll give you a drink, and I'll water your camels too. Man, talk about an easy, easily read sign. It would be kind of hard to, to, to miss that, wouldn't it? Um, but here's where the sign, I think, is advanced even farther than the servant uh, had asked for. God was, God was already answering this prayer, this servant's prayer, before he even prayed it, before he even made up the sign and gave it to God. He was already in the process of answering the prayer. Uh, he had already sent out the women and sent out Rebecca, heading that way before he even prayed it. And then, then God blew the sign out of the water or out of the well, so to speak. Uh, with this, Rebecca not only gave the servant water uh, and not only offered to water his camels, she offered to give enough water so that all ten camels could have their fill. Now, this was very significant, very significant. You know, watering the camels uh, meant by herself, watering all ten camels meant by herself, she would have to dip well water from the well in her jar enough to let ten camels have their fill. 
Now, from, from a reading that I did, uh, I saw that uh, an average camel can drink up to 35 gallons of water at a time in one setting, 35 gallons. Uh, and these were probably all thirsty camels because they had been traveling all day. Uh, and so for 10 camels who were completely on empty, <laughs> that would mean that she would have to provide uh, as much as 350 gallons of water all by herself. Uh, to put in the trough so that the camels could all get their fill. Now, now this man, remember, is a total stranger to her. Uh, uh, the fact that she would do this great act of kindness uh, for a stranger spoke just great, very loudly to Abraham's servant about her character, that she was so kind and so willing to do this for a stranger. And even farther, when the, the servant asked if there was a place where she could go stay for the night, um, you know, without hesitation, Rebecca offered uh, uh, her father's home, home, I guess it was easy to offer your dad's home, uh, to, uh, to come and sleep. And, and she would even provide food for the camels as well. Uh, so the servant uh, did give her gifts for, for her hard work, gave her a nose ring, and I'm sure she appreciated that. And two gold bracelets. And this nose ring, if you look at the weight of it, was real small. It wasn't a great big giant thing hanging down um, that we might imagine sometimes. But it's something like some people wear even today. Uh, but they were very special gifts uh, made of solid gold that she, she got for her effort. So he asked her, hey, whose daughter are you? Whose daughter are you? And he discovered that she was actually Abraham's brother Nahor's granddaughter. Now, it, everything is just falling right into place for this servant. In fact, the servant is just so excited that he immediately gave praise to God for answering his prayer. You know, that's, that's what we all need to do, too. If you, whenever you know and realize, you know, God just answered my prayer, um, we need to all right then, right then, stop and say, thank you for answering my prayer. I try to do that. Sometimes I forget, um, even if it's just a little thing. Um, yeah, I can't find my, my wallet. Where's my wallet? Where's my car keys? And Lord, help me find my keys. And, and finally, we were led right to them right then and there. Thank you, God, for helping me find my keys. Uh, but this, this servant immediately gave praise to God. Let's look at verse 27. Praise be to the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who was, has not abandoned his kindness and faithfulness to my master. As for me, the Lord has led me on the journey to the house of my master's relatives. So he's so thankful to God for the success so far in search for a wife for Isaac. So the servant goes to Rebekah's home and meets her family, uh, her brother Laban, her, uh, Rebekah's mother, and her father Bethuel. Laban, her her brother is the one that did most of the negotiating. Um, and Laban learns that this servant is from his great uncle, Abraham. Uh, he sees all the camels. You know, he's got all these ten camels, and they're all laden with all these goodies that he's brought. He hears the story of how the servant had prayed and how God had answered uh, his prayer. And by, by the time the evening is over and they've all gotten acquainted and heard all the stories and all that God had done, Laban and mom and dad are convinced that their daughter should go and marry her cousin, Isaac. 
So apparently first cousin once removed was okay. That was far enough. Now, if it was first cousin, uh-uh. But first cousin once removed was, was apparently okay back in those days. Um, <clears throat> at, at last, uh, at the, in the last minute, Rebecca uh, and Rebecca's brother and uh, her mom, when they were just getting ready to leave the next day, they, they buckled just a little bit. They, they wanted Rebecca to wait. Can, can she just wait 10 days or so before you take her away uh, from us? And you could understand, understand that, couldn't you? Uh, you parent, parents who have married off your children, you, you understand that. Uh, imagine what it w- must have been like to, to one day you've got a daughter and the very next day she's going off uh, hundreds of miles away and maybe you'll never see her again. Um, how hard that would be and, wh- and how, how you might want to uh, process it a little more and just wait a little bit longer. Uh, now the servant did not want to do that, uh, but you know what? He agreed to ask Rebecca what she wanted to do. Isn't that nice that they finally decided to ask Rebecca what she wanted <laughs> uh, and what her opinion was? So let me ask you ladies, all you, all you ladies out there, um, oh, what would you do here? Would you go or would you stay? Would you go or just apparently she had a choice here. Um, maybe you'd like to see a picture of Isaac first. That might be good. Just see what he looks like. See what you're getting into. Maybe check out his Facebook page. See what's going on, what kind of action's going on there, what he's involved in, uh, who he hangs out with. But, of course, she had none of that. There was no picture. There was, there was no Facebook. Uh, she really knew nothing about Isaac other than what the servant told her. But without, without hesitation, Rebecca said, I will go. I will go. Uh, verse 58. And then verse 59, so they sent their sister Rebekah on her way, along with her nurse and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, O oh, sister, may you increase to thousands upon thousands. May your offspring possess the cities of their enemies. And then Rebekah and her attendants got ready and mounted the camels and went back with the man. So the servant took Rebekah and left. So they head on out together back to Canaan. And as they arrived in Canaan, we see the very first encounter between Isaac and what would soon be his new wife. Let's read it, verse 62 through 67. Now Isaac had come from Beer Lahoy Roy, for he was living in the Negev. He went out to the field one evening to meditate. And as he looked up, he saw camels approaching. Rebecca also looked up and saw Isaac. She got down from her camel and asked the servant, Who is that man in the field coming to meet us? He is my master, the servant answered. So she took her veil and covered herself. Then the servant told Isaac all he had done. Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother Sarah, and he married Rebecca. So she became his wife, and he loved her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Now, that's all we got when they met. That's all we got. Uh, But you know what? If you think about it, I think there's more there in that little meeting than we think, especially if we use our imagination. Uh, So let's imagine this scene and maybe fill in the blanks just a little bit. There are Isaacs walking in this field meditating. What's he meditating on? Well, maybe he's wondering what his new wife will be like, 
I'm assuming he knows what's going on, that the servant went off to find him a wife. Um, so maybe he's thinking, what is she going to be like? Who will she be? Uh, what will she look like? Will she be beautiful? Um, when will she be here? It's been forever. When are they going to get back? Maybe he's meditating on what's going to happen when his new wife arrives. And he looks up and he sees the camels approaching. And he recognizes the camels. Hear the music in the background. A, a romantic ballad just playing softly as, as their eyes meet from a distance. Isaac looks and sees Rebecca. She looks and sees him. Rebecca looks up and she sees this man walking in the field. Uh, he's young. He's handsome. Uh, the NIV says she got down from her camel. The literal meaning of that word is she fell. She fell. So let's go with that. Let's go with she fell from her camel. She, she was so excited to see Isaac that she fell from her camel. <clears throat> she's, uh, she, she, looks, she, she gets up and, and she's uh, shaken uh, as she falls off the camel. And she asks uh, the, the servant, who is that man? Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? And the servant tells her, it's him. It's my master's son. It's your new husband. And the scene continues. She puts on her veil. And under the veil, we can all imagine, a smile forms on her face. Ah, that's my new husband. Now, meanwhile, Isaac sees this beautiful woman. And we know she's beautiful because the scripture tells us earlier that she was very beautiful. He sees this beautiful woman approaching. Her hair and the veil are blowing in the breeze. Their eyes meet, like we have our mask on, she, her eyes, and their beautiful eyes, she can, he can tell. He smiles at her, and then he looks at the servant, and the servant smiles at him and tells him all that had happened, and this is your new wife, your new fiance. So Isaac brings his new fiance into his mother's tent, probably to stay until the wedding, Apparently, uh, likely, Abraham may have died by this time, uh, which would explain why he's not mentioned here at all and why the servant uh, came to Isaac rather than first going to Abraham. They marry. And, and what seemed like love at first sight for both of them turned into a lifetime of love, a lifetime of faithfulness, commitment, as they now took the reins of building God's new nation together as husband and wife. <clears throat> so, what are some take-homes from this story? First, God can lead us to our lifelong partner. Now, uh, if, I don't know that there, uh, if, if there's people that are unmarried watching on Facebook. If you're, if you're watching, maybe we've got some young people that are watching. Uh, just if you haven't found your, your lifelong mate yet, just understand this. God can lead you to your lifelong partner. Um, I believe he did for me. Uh, Jackie, I think, is an is a, is a answer to prayer for me. And I, I believe uh, God led my two sons, Chris and Jason, to their lifelong partners. Uh, one of Jackie's most frequent prayers throughout their growing up years uh, was that he would lead them to a godly wife who would love them and serve God with them. And boy, did he answer uh, that prayer with, with our two daughter-in-laws, uh, uh, Lindsay and Terry. 
Now, if, if you're looking for a spouse, somebody watching on Facebook, and you're looking for a spouse, uh, you know, pray about it. Have you prayed about it? Um, uh, listen to God's word about who you should be looking for. Uh, at the top of the list, number one, number one should be someone who loves God as much as you do. Uh, if you compromise on that, uh, you will soon regret it. You will regret it. You know, beauty and handsome and a good sense of humor. I mean, those are nice things, and maybe they, maybe they can be, you know, in the top five or so. Uh, but the beauty of mutual love for Jesus can just carry you through when all those other things fade, fade away. Pray for your children. Pray for your children uh, that God will lead them to a godly man, a godly woman that will love them. Uh, and, and that will serve God with them. Uh, we got a lot of grandparents in our congregation here. Do the same thing for your grandchildren. Uh, you're probably not going to be able to influence a whole lot by talking and, and uh, urging, but you can pray for your grandchildren that, that as they approach the age, or if they're approaching the age of, of maybe getting married, uh, that God will do the same for them, that lead them to a godly man or woman uh, who will love them and serve God with them. You know, as, as Isaac and Rebekah continued their role in serving God's kingdom, let's pray that we and our children and our children's children can find, a lot, can, can find life partners that can help them carry on the work of God's kingdom in their lives and in their families and with their children. <clears throat> and finally, Isaac and Rebekah demonstrate that, that love is so much more than uh, infatuation isn't it? It's so much more than infatuation. The, the, you know, when we, what we feel when we're dating, remember, can you think back, that far back, uh, or those first early months of marriage uh, when we were looking for the ideal, perfect uh, marital paradise. Uh, you know, marital love is, is so much more than infatuation. It's a commitment. Uh, it's a, it's a lifelong commitment, a, a promise to each other and to God that you will remain faithful to each other for better, for worse, for in sickness and in health, and for richer, for poorer, no matter what, we're going to be committed to each other. You know, for centuries, <clears throat> arranged marriages worked. <laughs> they worked. Uh, because really, that's all there was for, for much of history, is arranged marriages, and they worked. Uh, often, often they turned into romance. Um, uh, marriages, arranged marriages were very happy marriages. And, and they worked if husband and wife made a lifelong commitment to each other and chose to love each other and serve God together. You know, it, it, it may have been love at first sight for Isaac and Rebecca. Maybe it was infatuation at first sight, two beautiful people just first meeting each other. Uh, but it developed into a lifelong love that helped build God's new nation. So may we seek that same kind of love in our, in our own marriages. You know, it's never too late. <clears throat> it's never too late to start. Um, and, and if there's someone out there that's, uh, that's, that's married to someone who's not a Christian, um, I'm, I'm sure they're a good person, and they're just they're a, they're a great parent. But uh, just don't nag them, don't bug them about it. Uh, 
Uh, don't complain about it. Just pray for them. Pray for them that they will uh, eventually come to know Jesus as their Savior and join you as you serve together. There's, there's going to be a lot of husbands and wives in heaven because their spouse prayed for them before they accepted Christ. For the unmarried out there, you know, pray for the marriage that, that God can lead you to one day, to the very person uh, that can love you and serve God with you. Pray every day for that. And together as couples and families, we can all work to build God's kingdom. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for <clears throat> this great story of, of uh, uh, Isaac and, and Rebecca coming together and how that all happened and, and how you were right in the middle of it the whole time. It wasn't just coincidence or happenstance that, that brought them together. It wasn't uh, just a fate. Uh, it, was, it was you leading Rebecca to Isaac uh, and Isaac to Rebecca. And so uh, help us to know that, that uh, you, you still do things like that. You still, when we pray about relationships, you are still very much involved in it. And so I, I pray, Father, if there's folks out there, young, young or older, who who are, are hoping to marry one day and looking, looking to marry, uh, that, that they will keep, keep in mind and keep in their prayers every day, that they can find someone that, that you will lead them to, someone that will love them and love you and can serve together with them. And so I, I just pray for those, those of us who are, who are, who are married and, and who are uh, living that life of daily commitment. Help us to never lose sight of the promises we made at our weddings and the commitment we made to each other to love and to cherish and, and to be committed and to be faithful and to serve together. Help us to, to just not be uh, alone when we serve, but serve together as husband and wife. Uh, and so I just pray you give strength. Lord, we, just, we pray for our children. <clears throat> we pray for our grandchildren um, as they uh, are approaching ages where they might marry and might begin thinking about that. Um, that, that you will lead them all to just the right spouse, again, that will love them and will love you and will serve together uh, as husband and wife. So thank you, Father, for this story. Uh, thank you for the, the hope that we can have in answered prayer. Uh, and uh, we, we pray that today can be a great day for us as we think about uh, love and loving each other. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.